Welcome. Welcome to church. It feels good in the auditorium today. I trust that it feels good at home as well. I just feel like the Lord is uh, excited to meet with you today. He's been looking forward to this moment with you. He has great things in store for us this morning. Um, I want to say a couple of things just off the cuff. So roll with me. Is that all right? We've been doing awakened prayer on Monday nights um, for, I don't know, a long time. It's been a, a long time. And we just decided to shift awake into Wednesday night. So starting this week, instead of Monday night at 6.30, it will be Wednesday at 6.30. And what that looks like is um, a moment. I need more keys. Thanks. Uh, what it looks like is a moment. Please. Thanks, Chad. And sound. And everybody, I'm sorry I'm focused. I love you, Chad. Um, what that looks like is we may not have any worship. Uh, we don't have worship, but we have a teaching and we have communion. And then we have personal prayer time. And the Lord, a few weeks ago, told me that I need to start doing some teaching to take our people deeper into encounters with the Lord. I feel like we are entering into a season. You can take this to the bank electronically in the future if you want. We're entering a season where the Lord wants to pour out the miraculous on the chosen, but those vessels must know how to contain that which he wants to release because he's a good steward and he won't spill what he can reallocate. Are you with me? We prayed for healing on Monday and we had several testimonies of people getting healed um, I'm believing for healing in, in my body as well. I've got some things going on, elbow issues, and uh, we've, we've had some healing. We had someone not get healed, and we had someone get worse <laughs> after prayer. Can I just tell you, though, miracles only work in an atmosphere of brutal honesty. So we don't manufacture when we're healed and when we're not. It's not your job to heal yourself, and it's not our job to make God look good, okay? It is our job to say, I'm going to trust him again. I'm going to believe him again. I'm going to step into an atmosphere of miracles again. And so that's what we're doing on Wednesdays. We're just trying to go a little bit deeper than, than a Sunday will allow us to do. So I want to invite you this Wednesday at 630 this past week, I talked about the tabernacle. I don't know why I'm about to cry when I just said tabernacle, but it was good teaching. The Lord is, it was, can I get a name? Good, good. It was good. And I'm, I can't teach that now. I already taught it on Monday. But the tabernacle, if you look at the life of a believer, because you are now the temple. So the plans that God gave for the tabernacle to be built reflect a whole lot about you. And so I talked about prayer this past Monday and how the tabernacle outworks in the life of a believer, how those things can take your prayer life into a deeper realm. This Wednesday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that in a little more detail and talk about the three levels of the supernatural. Faith is only the first level. We think we've arrived at faith, but there's a, another level beyond faith. I Trey, you can't preach this sermon now. There's another level beyond faith called the anointing that many people never step into because they're on the outer court of faith and they think they've arrived. But there's another level we're going to talk about on Wednesday. And there's a third level, but you got to come Wednesday for that. 
Is there someone here that you had a knife break, your favorite knife this week? I don't know if it's a kitchen knife or an outdoor knife, some kind of a blade. If you're watching online, um, if that's you, wave at me if you're in the room. You've had some kind of knife break that meant something to you, a blade of some sort. If you're watching online, please let us know. Text Cheryl right now and let us know. I'm going to go ahead and just drop a word. And, and if you remember later, you walk home and you see the knife, you're like, oh, that was me. Um, the Lord is saying that he's giving you, whoever you are, the Lord is giving you new weapons. That the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God and the pulling down of strongholds. And he's released this, whatever it is that broke, okay? Whatever this tool is that broke, it's just, it's something to remind you that there's new equipment on the way. New equipment on the way. And it's equipment that you can't manufacture. It's equipment that's not based out of your works, out of your doing, but in the authority and the identity and it's time for you to step into a new place of belonging. Amen? All right, one more thing. I'm, I'm pulling a lot of triggers here. My production team's probably going crazy. There's someone here with a testimony. You've been radically set free this week. The Lord has delivered you radically from something just this week. And I want to create a space as a place of testimony to that. Because when you testify to that, it's going to be a prophetic word to others that are hearing it, and that's going to happen for them. I, I sense that the Lord has rescued and delivered you from catastrophic fear. I could be wrong. It could be anything. But I, I feel like catastrophic fear, you've been contending for that and praying for that, and the Lord brought healing in that area of your life. Is it, it's got to be someone in the room because no one would be at home. Who is in the room? Recent? On Wednesday. Okay, come up. Uh, by the way, this is my son-in-law's mom, and I swear this has not been discussed. Can we get a mic for Hosanna? Let me tell you what's going to happen. Um, you're going to release this testimony, and what you think is a story is a prophetic declaration over this family. And not only that, the Bible says that we overcome by the word of our testimony. Amen? You see, we pray in secret and we pray to the Lord for salvation, but there's something phenomenal that happens when we allow our words to hit the ears of other believers. The word says we become healed when we confess our sins one to another. When we speak of things that we wrestle with and we have the audacity to be vulnerable with someone else, there's something that happens in the spirit realm. So that's going to happen for you as an extra benefit. But will you take one minute and share? So on Wednesday... Um well, one of the things that I got from the teaching was not to be begging God for things. Like, I constantly beg him for my children's protection through car accidents, through just I have a real big fear of loss. And we weren't supposed to pray. He told us, don't take time to just, I mean, yes, get through your prayer list, but then just take time to let the Lord just work in you. And I don't even think I got to be to praying. <laughs> Because we talked about the like the different levels of the temple and then just the part of like lighting the incense and letting the Lord just light your spirit and just burn out all those things and just take care of things. And I was like, Lord, but I, I need to pray for these things. And he says, No, just just spend time loving me. I'm taking care of those things. Wow. And 
like from the moment the teaching ended, I just broke out in tears. And I was like so embarrassed. I was like, gosh, I really hope, you know, like I'm just a snotty mess here. But I couldn't stop crying. But I just felt like I was taking a shower or something. Like just water just kept pouring over my soul and my spirit. And when you said fear, I was like, okay, no. And then I was like, catastrophic fear. Okay, yes. Every time my kids call when they're out, I'm like, mom. I'm like, don't answer the phone, mom, because it scares like craziness out of me. (laughs) But I just, I don't know what the Lord did, but I just, I prayed in a whole new way. And I've been praying my whole life. I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life and I've known how to pray my whole life, but that was, that really did something in me. Okay. So if you're in the room and you need a breakthrough in the area of fear, if you need peace to flood your home, stand to your feet right now. If you're watching online, and you need peace to flood your home. You need a breakthrough in the area of fear. I want you to stand to your feet right now. The Lord is about to do something. If you came for no other reason, you came for this. Jose, I want you to just pray fire down on these people. Just release that testimony and let's see some breakthrough. Lord, I thank you so much for everyone here. And I thank you that you created us and nothing catches you by surprise. And nothing ever occurs to you. You just, you know it all and you know our hearts and you know our biggest fears. I just want to pray over everyone in this room, everyone standing, that you would just fill their hearts with peace that passes all understanding. And in the moment that the devil tries to come with things that they're afraid of, whatever it is that could be tempting them to fear and break down, that they can just look to you, that you're their father, and that they can just let your peace wash over their home, wash over their hearts and their spirits, that they don't need to beg, that they stand in your authority because they are your child and as your children, we have nothing to fear. So I want to release faith and I want to rebuke fear and just ask you, Jesus, to just release the blessing of faith over everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate, make some noise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. I've got a few minutes to get a a sermon across to you. Uh, Not quite as much time as I had for the other numbers of the Enneagram, but hey, it's nine. They're peacemakers. They won't complain. (laughs) If you've been around for the last nine weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, we have walked through scripture and looked at this tool that's around. It's not a new tool. It's ancient. It's called the Enneagram. It's a personality typing system. We all said that you could text in self to 512-980-1220 if you didn't know your number and you could take the test and find out what you are. The benefit of knowing who you are and how you're wired and what your proclivities are, natural proclivities are, tendencies are, is it just helps bring awareness. You know, like that time you wanted to buy a VW Bug and you didn't see any on the road, so you wanted to buy the lemon color one. And then you saw lemon color VW Bugs everywhere on the road, right? They didn't just show up when you decided to buy the car. There was a new awareness. And because you had a new awareness, you began to see things that were already there, but you had developed a blind spot to. That's the benefit of understanding your natural tendencies and how you're wired. It doesn't mean it's a lifelong sentence and forever you're going to be an emotional, hot, depressed mess like Enneagram 4s. I'm a 4, so I can say that. It doesn't mean that forever you're going to care just about putting on a facade and making yourself look good and being successful like the Enneagram 3. 
If you're Enneagram 6, God help you during this pandemic because you have been planning and preparing and storing and, and planning in the future. And that doesn't mean that because you are Enneagram 6, you are destined to live a life of fear and anxiety. Right? These are natural tendencies. But today I want to talk about the Enneagram 9. It's our final one. I know there are a lot of nines in the room, actually. If you know that you're a nine, will you just raise your hand so I don't miss anybody? Look at that. Wow, more than I thought. We love nines. We love nines. Nines are the the peacemaker. We sure do love nines. I know that there are nines watching online as well. One, One of my very favorite humans in the world is Debbie Leggett. She is a nine, and she's watching online today at home. Debbie, we love you. Your husband's serving here today, and uh, I'll make sure he brings you a good lunch. (laughs) Anyway, it's interesting that when God starts our faith, the, the very foundation of our faith, he uses a nine. I want to talk to you today about Abraham. Abraham. A nine has the capacity to see both sides of the story or all sides of the story. It takes an extraordinary person to negotiate peace with God. And that's exactly what Abraham does. I want to take you to our text in Genesis chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, if you're watching online, please get your Bible. Turn to Genesis. It's the very first book of the Bible. Chapter 18. Verse 20 says, so the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah are quite possibly uh, two of the most famous cities in the history of the world for all the wrong reasons. It's because the, the sin in that town, the twin cities, had become so out of control, so egregious, Um, that it makes it into the very first book of the Bible. Like, it's a a big deal. Sin was so rampant, so bad, that it got the attention of God in heaven who said, I need to come down there and see if what I'm hearing is true. You know it's bad. If God doesn't even trust his omniscience to know if it's true, he's got to, I got to come down there and see if this is really happening. So he is going to take a look at the city to decide if he's going to destroy it. And ultimately, spoiler alert, he does. He destroys the city. But first, we see him going down with two representatives, two angels. Verse 21, I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men, angels, turned and headed towards Sodom But the Lord remained with Abraham, our nine. So Abraham is facing the Lord in this moment. Abraham approaches him and says, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? So this is where the peace summit begins. I mean, we have a complicated world, folks. There are a lot of people trying to broker peace and negotiate peace with world powers from nation to nation to city to city, even school board to parents. You know what I mean? There's a lot of peace brokering going on. This has got to be the most ultimate peace summit I think I've ever heard about because we have a man, Abraham, trying to broker peace with God. 
Abraham is interceding and going to try to talk God out of destroying the most wicked place on planet Earth. Verse 23, Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? In other words, God, are you going to kill everyone? Verse 24, suppose you find, this is where the deal making starts. Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Now, I don't know how many people lived in Sodom. I don't know how many people lived in Gomorrah. But I'm sure it was way more than 50. So he's not asking for the majority. I bet it was more than 100 people that lived in Sodom. So we could assume that the number 50 is a minimal request, right? It's, it's, hey, God, if you can find 50 people, will you spare the city? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, verse 25, destroying the righteous along with the wicked, why you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. How many know that God does not treat the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Can I get a good amen who are grateful for inequality in that moment? That he does not treat the righteous and the wicked the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? So here, Abraham is challenging the goodness of God. He's reminding God that his nature is one of justice. He's saying, Surely not everyone can be bad. Listen, I, I see the town down the way. I, I see the Twin Cities, and I know it's bad. Abraham knew it was bad. I've heard the reports, but surely not everybody is bad. So here he's trying to negotiate a peace treaty between God, who is righteous and holy, and the wicked city of Sodom. Verse 26, the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom... I will spare the city for their sake. I imagine Abraham taking a deep breath. Okay. Wait a minute. We are talking about Sodom. I'm not sure that there's 50 righteous people. So so he goes back to the drawing board. He lowers the number. He tries to cut another deal with God. Verse 27. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I've begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city then for for a lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Gotta love a bold nine. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only he was doing five increments. Now he's like, hey, things are good. Let me, let me jump down 10. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. The Lord says, I won't destroy it. Then Abraham, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10, suppose only only 10 people are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned 
to his tent. And we know from the Bible and from history that there were not 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom. You have to be careful about who you surround yourself with. Because Sodom did not start out as a city with 100% Sodomites. That's what the Bible says. If that word is concerning to you, the Bible uses that word. The Bible says that it was so bad, that sin was so bad when the two angels showed up at the gate. Lot is there. Abraham's nephew. He's a knucklehead, by the way. Lot's the biggest knucklehead in the Bible. He had nothing, had no money, had no position, had no power. He had an incredible uncle, Abraham. Abraham taught him everything he knew. And because of Abraham, he grew in position. He grew in power. He grew in money. And then it all started messing up. But the, the Bible says Lot is the gatekeeper of Sodom. And he's married, he's got a wife, and he's got two daughters who are virgins, which tells you a lot about at least Lot's ethics in that moment. He's surrounded in Sodom with a bunch of people who have no moral standards, yet he maintains to raise a family with some moral compass. It's a big deal. It's good for Lot. Good. That must have been hard. Can you imagine? And Lot notices that they are two men of God. He says, why don't you come and stay in my house? And they, they reply, oh, no, we'll sleep in this city square. And Lot says, no, 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 no. You must come to my house. Sin is so bad in Sodom that Lot gets the two angels in his house. And the Bible says every adult man in the city surrounds Lot's house, banging on the door, wanting to rape the two guests that Lot brought home. That's bad. And here's Abraham, the nine, trying to broker a deal with something that clearly had no goodness in it. Something that was completely godless. You have to be careful with the people you surround yourself with. And I know many of us Christians say, but I'm going to be the good person in the room. I'm going to be a witness. But the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. We will step into a situation trying to be the savior. But can I just remind everybody in the room and listening online, you, have, you are not equipped to be the savior. You step into platforms feeling like you're rescuing people and God hasn't sent you there. Now, there are times God will send you to a place where there's fire all around and you will walk out not smelling even like smoke. But if you put yourself in the furnace, that wasn't even in my notes, so I know that's God for somebody today. Stop putting yourself in a furnace that he didn't design for you and destined for you to be victorious in. The peacemaker reflects God's peace. The peacemaker reflects God's peace. What are they motivated by? They're motivated to be at peace, to avoid conflict, to create healthy spaces for people to thrive. <clears throat> the nines... They see multiple sides to any decision or scenario. Nines, by the way, raise your hand if you're nine again. 
Raise your hand. This is something great about you. Nines are the least judgmental type of all Enneagram numbers. That's awesome. Very good. Which can really be annoying when you're wanting someone to validate your own perspective. Right? When I go to a nine and I'm like, can you believe this is happening? And I just want them to say, yeah, that's ridiculous. They always say, yeah, but what about da-da-da-da-da? Oh, my God. Scoot over, nine. Give me an eight. Give me an eight who will just jump on my bandwagon and get me fired up. Anyway, you know what's really great about nines? Um, that they can see from so many different angles and they have so much value inside of them. The, the sad thing is they often don't have the boldness and the courage to deliver what God has placed inside of them. And if you work in a, a team situation, maybe you oversee teams, find out what your team numbers are. And probably you'll find that the nines sit quietly in staff meetings, in team meetings. And, and the nines hold some of the most valuable gold that will revolutionize and transform your team. So as a leader, and maybe even in your family, if you lead nines, you got to get the nines to share what's on the heart, communicate what their needs are and what they're, they're feeling. Isn't it funny that the, the, the nine... The so docile nine sits right next to the eight. Now, if you were here last week, the eight is the driver, the go-getter. They say what they're thinking. They're not afraid of killing you. <laughs> Nines are inclusive. They're patient. They're accepting of others when they're healthy. Nines are great parents, fantastic parents, they are patient and kind to those children when every other number wants to throw them out the window. <laughs> Nines are great. They are good listeners, great mediators, considerate of others' perspectives. They're fantastic. I, I have two nines on team right now. I've had, I've had more in the past. I love nines because, you know what I love about nines personally? They love to hear my stories. They... They will ask me how it's going and how life is, and they actually care. Do you know what I mean? Threes, you don't care. You don't. You don't care. We all know it. You're like, how are you doing? As you don't even make eye contact. <laughs> but nines care. Nines will sit there and listen to your, your junk all day long, and, and they just have a heart for people's stories. Now, when unhealthy... I think all of our nines in the room and online, all of our nines are healthy. But when unhealthy, nines will avoid conflict at all cost. They will avoid conflict at all costs. What's wrong with that? Well, sometimes people need to be confronted. Sometimes situations need to be confronted. Sometimes balance sheets need to get confronted. Are you with me? For example... Uh, you can't negotiate peace over a cup of tea with Adolf Hitler. Sometimes you have a situation, sometimes you have evil that has to be confronted. A few contemporary examples that we will all just know and love to hear about one more time. Racism, sexual perversion, abortion, pedophilia are all things that need to be confronted 
And we can't just find peace at all costs. Some things need to be confronted, evils in the world that are not from the heart of God. In fact, they are all demonic and expressions of the spirit of the Antichrist. It must be addressed. So nines, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's hard to walk into that confrontation. Sometimes it's hard to lift your voice. But your voice is needed. There are things that must be confronted. And while I'm on the subject, I'll just clarify one thing on behalf of me. There's a very recent push for society to accept pedophilia, intimacy between an adult and child as love. Let's just be clear before this topic ever gets on the table for discussion with our worldly enlightenment. That it is the belief of this church, particularly a very passionate belief of your pastor, that it is not okay. Pedophilia is a psychiatric disorder listed in the DSMV4 that is influenced by the demonic. Now, if you struggle with pedophilia, you're in the right place. Because we believe in a God who heals everybody. We believe in a God who doesn't say these sins are beyond my reach. So if you're here today, God says you can be free in Jesus' name. But we should all know that just because society accepts our sin does not mean that God does. Nines, that's how you do it. You just say what you feel. And you don't worry if you say it all right, because listen, anyone who is against you will find something wrong with the words you chose. This is just a lesson in life. I don't care who you are, what political platform you believe in. I don't care your gender. I don't care anything. This is true. And if they're not for you, they will find something against you. It doesn't matter how perfect you articulate every thought and emotion that you have. And that, that's fine. Let people rise up against you because then you know who God is destined to come alongside you. You see, I appreciate, I appreciate when people show who they're marching with. The scary thing for me is to be blindsided and marching by somebody who's not really on my team, but wants me to think they're on my team. When unhealthy nines can be Stubborn, passive-aggressive, indecisive. Somebody said no. (laughs) And they stay silent. They don't declare their own needs. Nines will just sit there. I I liken nines to an elephant, and here's why. I I like elephants. I love seeing elephants. I've ridden an elephant. Don't own an elephant. (laughs) But nines are like an elephant because if an elephant wants to do something... It's very decisive and strong and powerful. Elephants can shift things that other animals can't. The power that is within an elephant can make a jaguar embarrassed to be a jaguar. But elephants aren't fast. They're not the the speedy animal on the planet. They're slow. But a healthy nine is, is like an elephant It'll get things done methodically, and you can trust it to finish what it starts. It may take a while, 
because that's how they, they move, they, they work. On the flip side of that, if an elephant ever decides to sit down and not move, you ain't moving that elephant. And you know what nines think? Unhealthy nines think. They think they can outlast you. You're pulling them, trying to get the elephant to move. You're prodding them. And if they just sit there long enough, they can outlast your request for them to move. Which brings me to the core sin of a nine, laziness. Sloth. Now, this does not mean that you sit around on the couch all day and do nothing, okay? Some nines might, but that, I know a lot of nines, man, wake up before I do in the morning. They're very motivated. They get less naps than I do. Like, I know very motivated nines, so don't look too much at the surface level. Laziness, the core sin of sloth, is manifested through indecision, which leads to paralysis. I don't know what to, career to choose, so I pursue nothing. I don't know what school I want to go to, so I don't apply anywhere. I don't know who I, I'm going to marry, so I'm not going to look around. I suppose that could be a good thing. <laughs> the core sin of sloth is also manifested through inaction, indecision, and inaction is another one. You know what you should do, but you don't take action on what you know would be good for you. Here's the beauty of a healthy peacemaker. I need to wrap this up. The healthy nine is in pursuit of embracing healthy conflict. Declares their wants and needs as a means of deeper connection with themselves and others. Nines, listen to me. People can't love you if they don't know you. I know, you, I know what you do. You look at a lot of other numbers. And you think, I don't want to be as vocal as that number. That's too much, right? Maybe you look at fours, for example, and you think, oh, man, they just, they let everybody know when they're feeling up and when they're feeling down. That's just too much information. You don't have to be a four. You may look at eights and you may think, oh, man, I don't want everybody to know when I'm in a bad mood or in a good mood or I don't want to be bossy or whatever the eights are. I have to be careful here. My wife is an eight. Nines, no one's asking you to be an eight. No one's asking you to be a four. No, no one's asking you to be a perfectionist, a one. But what we are saying is we, we believe that there's enough value in you that you rob us of the fullness of life when you don't share your full heart with us. So we need you to declare your needs to us. We need you to declare what it is that you want and what you expect in the relationship. Abraham is this great peacemaker and he has two wives, right? Sarah is his first wife and then he has a servant who becomes his concubine, Hagar. Hagar has a son, Ishmael, and it causes conflict between his first wife and his second wife. And Sarah goes to Abraham and says, I need you to take care of this. I want Hagar and Ishmael. I, w I want them out, out of the equation. So you know what Abraham does? Abraham does what a healthy nine would not do. So a healthy nine would respond by saying, hey, Sarah, listen, I can understand 
how you would want me to do this, but you, you are the one that asked me to have a child with Hagar. Now, let's not forget how this all started, Sarah. You asked me to do this. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, Sarah, I really care about my son. I really have a heart for him. Like, I love Ishmael. He didn't say that. You know what? Abraham the nine, the peacemaker, avoiding conflict at all cost did. He sentenced Hagar and Ishmael to death. We also see this play out, this withholding heart in the relationship of his nephew Lot. Rather than getting in Lot's face and really bringing correction to his spoiled nephew, you know what Abraham does? He says, hey, Lot, listen, you take the right, I'll take the left, and we'll, we'll never cross paths again. Or right, left, right, east, west. I think Lot took the, bless you, the, Lot took the east, I think. Instead of dealing with the problem, he just said, let's just separate. Let's just not deal with the conflict. You go to the east, I'll take the west, I'll take Canaan. You, you take the land of Zoar and and." Lot could have had the opportunity to step into the legacy of Abraham if the nine would have had the courage to have the hard conversation. So listen to me, nines, and I'm I'm closing. This is not, this is my final closing. Peacekeeping is different than peacemaking. Peacemaking requires effort, requires creativity, requires prophetic prayer, prophetic insight. Peacemaking is the hand of God that steps into chaos, and we need you nines to speak up. In fact, we need all people of God to speak up and begin to declare peace over our cities, over our nation, over our world. Peace, peacemaking is not just a sit back Netflix and chill kind of thing. Now, I I know Netflix and chill means other things than what I just meant it to mean. Sorry. Peacemaking means that you and I have to find a place reserved and set aside for the presence and the power of God. We must value and honor and set up our prayer life so much that we understand that lives live and die on the basis of our time with Jesus. Like cities fall and they rise on your prayer time. Now, I don't, listen, nines, the, the sins that many of us commit are sins that we commit. Nines, you, most sins you commit are sins of omission. It's the things that you don't do, not the things that you do. It's the inaction of the nine that oftentimes is a sin. God says, go here, and you're like, uh, I'm comfortable here. God says, do this, uh, I'm comfortable here. We will all be held accountable for both things we do and we don't do. So church, listen to me. 
Now is not the time in the history of our nation or the world to sit back and waste a 24-hour cycle in a day and think that God's got this. God wants to partner with his church to bring transformation, to bring healing, to bring revival, to bring an awakening. I'll tell you what's about to happen in the spirit realm. I, I said it a few weeks ago on Facebook. I had a little dream and and I'm already seeing it starting to happen. There's a revival of sons and daughters that's taking place. The enemy is against family. He's trying to destroy family at the very root. In fact, you're going to see in the next couple of weeks a very traumatic, drastic shaking in every entity that imparts into the family. From the schoolhouse to the courthouse, you're going to see the enemy try to usurp the family. Why? Because the family represents quite literally the covenant between God and his people. So now is not the time for inaction or indecision. So Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that the spirit of a peacemaker rests on your people. This is not a sit back and eat ice cream kind of sermon. This is a gird up your loins with truth and pull that sword, which is the word of God, from its sheath and be prepared to fight the enemy, which is not this world, but it is the land of the unseen. And God, I just thank you that there is no battle you've ever sent your people into that you've not already prepared the victory for. And so God, as peacemakers, we're not fighting for peace. The Bible says that we now reign and sit in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. So we're not fighting for peace. We're fighting from a testimony of peace that has already been delivered by your blood. So God, we just thank you. We thank you, Father, for the power to deliver, save, heal, and to bring peace. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church shout amen. Amen. We love you.